Last week we saw everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to say, I'm in to follow Jesus, to surrender to his will, his dreams, his passions for our lives. All of us are invited because every single human being that's ever lived is created by God's image and is priceless in God's sight. And hopefully you and I also see everybody we encounter as priceless in God's sight. Today, we're going to explore our influence, that every single one of us has influence to help people take steps toward Jesus. I'm hoping to convince you this morning that you have much more influence in other people's lives than you think. Because just one word, one moment, one kind action can drastically affect another person's life. You are influential for God's glory. And apparently it rains when I'm preaching at nearly the exact time I preached this last service, it was raining. I'm not saying I have superpowers, but you know, uh, <laughs> keep praying for rain. So a new career has risen in the past few years as a result of social media and all the technology that has developed. Now a person can gather followers online and then use that connection with those followers to encourage them to buy certain brands and items and products based solely on the recommendation. These folks are not athletes, they're not celebrities, movie stars, politicians. They had no kind of status other than now they've collected people and are influencing their purchasing decisions. And this is their only job. They make tons of money doing this because this person likes this movie or this makeup or this sports gear or headphones or movies. I like it too. What's their job title? They're an influencer. They are someone who influences another person's buying decisions. Now, it's slightly different than we, how we use this word in previous generations. If I'd ask some of you who influenced you to be the person you were growing up, my guess is some of you would respond coaches and teachers and professors and parents and Sunday school teachers. These influencers weren't getting you to buy stuff. They're trying to help you develop into a fully functional adult and even push you, help you to decide to follow Jesus. Now, some of us might list some celebrities that have influenced us. And that category, that kind of gets us closer to what an influencer does today. Here is one influencer in our world today. This is PewDiePie. He is a uh, has 110 million YouTube subscribers. Now, when I hear the term PewDiePie, I immediately think of My Little Pony. Like, he sounds like he's Twilight Sparkle's friend or something, but no, he is a large YouTube influencer. His YouTube channel is the largest not managed by a group, not managed by a corporation or a staff. It is just him. Well, he's been at it for 10 years, he's really never had a video go viral, meaning he's never had a video that's just kind of gone wild with tens of millions of views. He's literally built it one step at a time, one video at a time. And he's built this platform and now influences all kinds of people's buying decisions. Platform came first, then he connected with people. Platform came first before necessarily building a character that can manage a large platform. Anybody see any potential pitfalls that might happen here? Now, PewDiePie is a real guy. He's a Swedish man living in the UK named Felix Gelberg. He was not famous before, but he is now because he has amassed such a large following. His popularity online creates an Oprah effect. Oprah, again, another influencer, because whatever he mentions, indie games, they, all the sales gets boosted simply because he mentions them and he likes them. He is a 21st century influencer. 
But what kind of influencer is he? He also has a reputation for being incredibly crass. He's gotten into trouble over the years for various racial slurs and sexism. Just because somebody builds a large platform does not mean that their followers are necessarily being influenced in a good direction by a healthy and a mature person. Friends, with all the tools that we have at our disposal and the very fact we're alive, we are all influencers. We don't have 110 million YouTube subscribers, but we have people around us. People around us every single day looking at us at how to live, how to respond to situations, what it means to follow Jesus to react to this situation. Friends, it could be one conversation. It can be one word. It can be one text that leads to someone's life going in a radically different direction. And they might even follow Jesus as a result of it. One word can change a person's life. Last week, we held our third Shoes of Hope event. We gave away 115 pairs of shoes and Bibles to kids and students in need with foods, inflatables, and prayers for a wonderful school year. Now, one of our high school students, Elena, met a second grader, and these are Elena's words from that experience. She writes, I was washing the feet of a second grade girl. We had talked about her school, her family, and so much more. When I told her about how Jesus washed people's feet, she didn't know who Jesus was. So I told her about all the amazing things Jesus did while he was on earth and all the miracles he still performs today. Then I asked her if there was anything I could pray with her for. She said, I don't know how to pray. So I told her that all she needed to do was to talk with God. She can tell him anything and everything, whenever and whenever. She said, can I try? So we prayed for her family and going back to school. She had a huge smile on her face when we finished praying and said, that was cool. <laughs> she walked away with her family to the craft table. Shortly after she walked back, uh, she walked back to me and gave me a hug and she handed me a bookmark that she had made for me. She looked me in the eye and said, God is love. I said, thank you with a smile on my face too. She said, promise me, promise me you're going to keep this in your Bible every night. I said, of course I will. My goodness, how sweet is that? We have no idea what Elena has planted in that second grader, what that influence in those few moments is going to do in her life. We may never see the results of it. There was another parent, and she was weeping while her middle schooler was being prayed for by one of our volunteers. He was being honest about the concerns he had for going to middle school for the first time, and they were praying over all of it. And she was so grateful that some strangers would take out the time to listen to her son's concerns and pray for them. And so she was moved to tears as a result. That's just two stories. And there's 113 kids and students and their families beyond that were impacted by this event. Friends, influence isn't always obvious. Influence isn't always instant. Just because you don't see a harvest doesn't mean a seed didn't take root. Parents in the room take heart. Everyone praying for family members and friends who just don't seem to get it, who just can't seem to get it together, no matter how much you've helped, take heart. Influence isn't always instant. Just because you didn't see a harvest does not mean a seed didn't take root. You have no idea. You have no idea how one moment can change a person's life. You have no idea how one word, one action, one call can drastically alter another person's destiny. 
You do not need 110 million YouTube subscribers. You have influence. We all have influence to help people get to Jesus. Jesus himself says as much in our scripture for today. We're going to be in Matthew 5. If you want to follow along today in your Bible, on your favorite device, we're going to be on the screen behind me. Matthew 5 is a part of a larger section of Jesus' teachings we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters of dense, quick hits of Jesus' teaching telling us the best way we can live with God at the center of our lives and how we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's got a powerful opening with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then the rest of the sermon gives you some kind of handles of what this looks like. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? We're going to pick it up in Matthew 5, verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Turn to your neighbor and say you're salty. There you go. Turn to your other neighbor and say you're shiny. Hey, Jesus said so. So there is a old French folktale about a king and this princess tells her father, I love you like salt. Angered by this apparent sight, the father, the king, kicks the princess out of the kingdom never to see her again. But when he is denied salt, he realizes its value and therefore the depth of his daughter's love for him. Now, this story doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us today. We don't have this kind of connection with salt. Salt is so common, so easy to obtain, and so inexpensive, we have forgotten. From the beginning of civilization until about 100 years ago, salt was a very valuable commodity. It was one of the most sought-after ones. For thousands of years, we paid soldiers in salt, and it represented wealth, evil spirits. You got rid of them with salt. For the Romans, a man in love... A man in love was in a salted state. We really cannot live without salt. Amen, praise Jesus is all the potato chip lovers with us this morning, right? Now, salt deficiency, it causes headaches, it causes nausea, and if it continues, lack of salt can lead to death. So when Jesus says on the side of a hill one day, you are the salt of the earth, he's giving his followers a huge compliment and a challenge. The Greek here, the original language of your New Testament, is intense. It is literally, you, yes, you, and only you are the salt of the earth. You, yes, you, and only you are the light of the world. And it's nearly a preposterous statement given who's around Jesus that day. Listening to this sermon is a motley bunch of decent but deeply flawed disciples. They are riddled with self-centeredness, constantly vying for position, nursing grudges. They're feeling danger and discomfort, whining like little kids. And Jesus says, you, yes, you, and only you are the salt of the earth. You, yes, you, and only you are the light of the world. Jesus can say that with a straight face. To them and to us today, 
despite their faults and limitations, despite our fault and limitations, because we are bound by Jesus. We are his influencers. It means that they didn't have to have their whole lives together to influence people to Jesus. It means we don't either. It means we don't have to have our whole lives put together to influence people to follow Christ like we do. Now, this is the essence of the kingdom of God. Everything gets turned upside down, which is an in reality right side up. The poor in spirit, they get the kingdom. The meek inherit the earth. The hungry and the thirsty, they are finally satisfied. Ordinary, flawed, even weak and preposterous people become the beautiful, God-appointed heralds of a brand new world. So what did Jesus exactly mean when he called his disciples then, when he calls all of us today, to be the salt of the earth? Well, salt is good and salt is different. Salt is good and salt is different. Therefore, we followers of Jesus, we should be good and we should be different. Salt is good because it's useful and valuable. It is a preservative, slowing decay. It keeps meat edible. Historically, Salt has even been connected with new beginnings. It used to be newborns were rubbed with salt to have a good life. I'm not sure. Now, it's no wonder that throughout history, procuring salt, it was a necessity of life. Salt had great symbolic importance and economic value. So you got to wonder, and it makes me ask, do our neighbors see us, our, us followers of Jesus, the people of Legacy Church, do we have symbolic importance and economic value? Are we considered necessary for life? Do people see our good works and give glory to the Heavenly Father? 115 kids and students and their families saw that last week at Shoes of Hope. But it can't just be one event every August. It's got to be an everyday activity that we are salt and we are light. Do our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, do they find us attractive? interesting, flavorful, and compelling. In other words, do we reflect Jesus' character? Are we poor in spirit? Do we display meekness and mercy? Are we committed to living as peacemakers? That's the kind of influencers Jesus wants us to be. He calls us to be and desires us to be. Or are we instead salt that is good for nothing, dull, bland, and worthless? <coughs> Apparently coughing in your microphone causes the battery to die. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So this past summer, uh, we sponsored five block parties by us here at the church in neighborhoods of Bismarck and Mandan. If you're with us in May, we held a drawing and five families, five folks won these parties. And we went to all these neighborhoods. We provided food, invitations, inflatables, and they provided the neighbors. And it was almost 500 people. They were able to have a fun night on us. They made connections, influenced neighbors to meet each other and some legacy folks. Friends, that is a salty event. We are a flavorful people. This is a small taste that we are not the dull, bland, flavorless folk. But we are people that are trying to do good wherever it might be. 
And we hope at all those parties we have planted a seed that influences people to follow Jesus, to surrender to him just like we have. Just because you haven't seen a harvest does not mean a seed hasn't taken root. You know, there are so many horror stories out there of Christians acting in non-salty ways, pushing people away from Jesus by the way they act and live. And it's ironic because Jesus, well, he was without sin, had broken people, had sinful people like you and me flock to him. He even called sinners, us broken people, to repent, to turn, to live a new way, and people still flocked to him. They were challenging, he was challenging people, and they still ran to him. People felt his compassion, not the terror of exclusion and judgment that so many people can feel from churches today. We're not called to influence people by judging them where they are in their life. We're called to love them because they are. We're not called to judge people wherever they are in their life. We're called to love them because they exist. They are children of God just like we are made in God's image. If people are in their world are suspicious and cynical, bored and frightened or even repulsed by us in the church, we are doing something very wrong. We're doing something really wrong, and we can start to fix it by simply praying, Lord Jesus, re-saltify me. By your power, make me salty again. Let me shine again. Salt is useful. It is attractive. It is able to influence the world. It is good, and it is different. Salt can flavor and preserve only because it's different. It's a different chemical makeup than what it encounters. Salt is most fully alive when it behaves like salt. When it loses its flavor, its distinctive character, its chemical composition, when it's not salt anymore, it's worthless. It's not attractive. It's not interesting. It's not valuable. In Jesus' words, the salt then will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, the original language here means the salt will be foolish. The salt will become foolish. Salt is foolish when it doesn't do what it's made to do. It's not, a lot, it's not a far leap. We are foolish. We followers of Jesus are foolish when we don't do what we're called to do. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to live differently even to the point of persecution. Jesus mentions it in verse 10 of chapter 5. Unsalty believers aren't attacked or ambushed or ridiculed or mocked. They're just shrugged off as irrelevant or things to ignore. Unsalty believers, they're so unbeatitude-like. They're insipid. They're dull. There's no reason to persecute them. That's why Jesus starts his kingdom manifesto with these beatitudes so we live differently. And that the main goal isn't just to live as different in and of itself. The goal is to live life with Jesus. We're supposed to walk with Jesus every day, and that will make us different. That will make us face the influence we have and help us to do good, to be the salt and the light the world needs. When we face the pain of this broken world, from Afghanistan to COVID in the U.S. and around the world, to racial injustice, to suicides in our own community, we will be different. When we find ways to be salt and light in all of those places and circumstances, we will be different. When we're hungering and thirsting for a better world, we will be different. When we're displaying mercy and living as peacemakers, we will be different. 
when we're meek and gentle in the midst of a pushy and violent culture, we will be different. When we're pure in heart, we will be different. And that differentness, that kind of influence, friends, it leads to one thing, trouble. Salty influencer Christians do not seek trouble. They just know, just like Jesus, they're not always understood. They're not always appreciated. Salt is a preserving force, and light is a penetrating fire. Salt is a preserving force, and light is a penetrating fire. Both of these elements can sting and expose. Seriously, salty Christians can get killed, or at the very least, mocked and excluded. Influencing others to Jesus, it is not for the faint of heart. In the 1970s, Oscar Romero was chosen to lead the church in El Salvador because he was quiet. He was a safe choice. But after the murder of his friend and champion of the poor, Father Rutillo Grande, Romero knew that the church as the world's true salt had to be different. The church had to be different than the culture around it. In his words, the church is not measured by the government's support, but rather its own authenticity. As government soldiers tortured and executed innocent people, Romero said in one of his sermons, like a voice crying out in the wilderness, we must continually say no to violence and yes to peace. On March 23, 1980, he criticized his country's military in the role of murdering and executing all of these innocent people. As true salt and light, Romero said the church couldn't remain silent. So he preached this in one of his messages. He said, in the name of God and in the name of the suffering people whose laments rise to heaven each day, I beg you, I order you in the name of God to stop the repression. The next evening, as he finished his message during the Mass, he was shot and killed by a man in the back of his church. Salt and light are good and noble. Influencing people towards Jesus is good and noble. But salt and light can sting. And they can also expose corruption. When we hunger for a better world like Romero, when we resist violence and become peacemakers, when we display mercy rather than judgment, when we live with a pure heart, be ready. Be ready because Jesus said at the same time you will attract people, you will also repel others. Now friends, your life will likely not be asked of you this week as you seek to be salty and shiny as an influencer for others to Jesus. But you are an influencer. One word, one action, one moment can change a person's life forever. Just because you don't see a harvest doesn't mean a seed hasn't taken root. It can be very simple actions. When you help somebody feel comfortable in church because they haven't been in a long time or they have never been, you are an influencer. When you wipe the nose of a child and legacy kids or listen to a, the story of a middle schooler's day, you are an influencer. When you worship fully, when you show compassion in real life and online, when you help strangers, you are influencing people to Jesus. All of us live lives of visibility. People are longing to see something that is good and different. And the closer we stay to Jesus, the more people will see that in us. Let us be the salty and the shiny, influencing people the world needs. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us to see that we have influence. Great influence through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring hope, healing, and wholeness to people who desperately need it. Help us to take one step. 
Take one step this week to reach out. One word, one action, one call, one text to show someone else they're cared for. They are loved. They are people watching out for them. May your Holy Spirit be with us as we take those steps and risks. It is in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen.